0: Hello creeps, I'll be your ghost, I mean host, as we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Hello listeners, it's producer and co-ghost Ash here. You might notice that my audio sounds a little off in this episode. Well, funny story about that. I just happened to be passing through the beautiful West Coast community of Summer Isle when I got caught in a Wicker Man. What are the odds, right? Well, I had to record the entire episode from inside the Wicker Man, so my audio sounds like if you recorded an entire episode inside of a Wicker Man. That said, I think it's a pretty good conversation, and I hope you enjoy.
1: Uh, that's fine. That's fine. That's okay.
0: That's okay. Um, podcasting beverages are—you are, know—we we have our, our tinctures, our elixirs, our remedies.
1: This uh, is this is this is a locally brewed uh, remedy. It's all natural. It it makes me more interesting.
0: <laughs> I I only ever get my podcasting beverages um, from a bunch of people in strange animal masks in the woods, and I, I think that's the only ethical way to source podcasting beverages.
1: Wouldst thou like to pod deliciously? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my y- yes, God! Yes, Satan.
1: Yes, Satan. Yes, I would.
0: <laughs> N- Nicholas Cage screaming, not the bees, but replace each bee with like a notification that a new episode is uploaded.
1: <laughs> oh, hello, everybody! It is your horror vanguard for the week. My name is John, otherwise known as the Liquid Guy. Joined. As ever, by my good friend and co ghost Ash. How are you? I'm, I'm
0: folklorific. My woodlands are dark. My days are bewitched.
1: I, I have left my house and have wandered out into the nearby podcasting grove, uh, which on every, every, uh, every Second day of the month is inhabited by strange podcasting devils that have to be placated with sacrifice.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad that you hold the podcaster solstice. It's such a <laughs> forgotten holiday.
1: I, you know what? I just think it's I think it's important just to keep up the old ways. We've we're recording this podcast on wax cylinders. Um, <laughs> the way the way it should be done.
0: Right. And I mean, you're, you're in England. It's where full core comes from. You know, I mean, the, the, I mean, I know there's a long history of like full core factory working conditions and the exhaust from the full core fa- factories in London creating an unbreathable environment. But really the product speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what we're talking about today? Dear listeners in the audience.
1: Oh, wait, sorry. I just realized we can't hear their response. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, it's not an interactive medium. Um, We are talking about Woodlands Dark and... uh, Sorry, we're talking about Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, the new, uh, very, very long, very, very detailed folk horror documentary, which um, just dropped on Shudder. Um, There's a lot, there is a lot to talk about here. Um, a lot that is kind of good and interesting and maybe some stuff that we think uh, could have been done differently, could have been done uh, better, could have been done in a different way. Um, but
0: little, before we, little
1: missing fragments of dialogue. But before we get into that, before we get into that, uh, it is important, I think, that we kind of set the scene. You know, folk horror, probably a lot of immediate connotations jump into people's heads. Um, But one thing this documentary does is very much broaden that canvas. But maybe we can push that. Maybe we can push that just a little bit further. So, Ash, my dear friend, today's documentary feature film, what's it all about?
0: We always start with the same question about folk horror. In every new film, we ask for the location of the folk that constitute this horror. We scramble to find them in myth, in legend, in history. We scour the outside world for witch cults, secret pagans, and beliefs lost to time. But they are not lost. They are not outside. When opening one of his live concerts, Utah Phillips once remarked, and here I must paraphrase, This is folk music and we are the folk, nest pas? This gives us certain responsibilities, certain obligations. I want you to sing. I want you to caterwall the damn thing. We struggle to locate the folk in hidden hillsides and low mountains, because we are they, and they are us. We have locked ourselves in a wicker man of steel, glass, and plastic. It is only natural that we no longer hear the bees. Join us. And this time, I really do mean join us, because after all, we are the folk, nest pas? As we discuss, woodlands dark and days bewitched.
1: Ooh, indeed. Indeed. Gotta drop the
0: Utah Phillips when we're having the folk discussion.
1: Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Because folk horror is, if understood correctly, I think posits a kind of wider cultural kind of s- structure of feeling, as it were. You know. But maybe we should start we should start where we always start. We should begin in the formalism zone. Our our Folk Hertzogian formalism zone today. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, okay, so like let's 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 go big picture first before we kind of get granular. Let's do the macro before we do the microscopic, which is like what, what are we dealing with here? What do we think of what we're dealing with here as a kind of like whole object, as, as, a, as a text?
0: So I, I, think, I think something is really interesting about the shape of this folk horror documentary, right? Um, because despite interviewing uh, filmmakers and writers and people who create folk horror, it, it is viewing folk horror as an outside object. Right. This is this is an objectivist appraisal of this thing that we refer to when we talk about folk horror, um, it, and I find that that interacts with the subject matter in an interesting way, because folk horror is is heavily about that tension and that mediated space of an outsider watching the horrific folk from that vantage point, and so we get we get this interesting positioning as as not quite theory fiction but nevertheless like recreating one of the central tropes of folklore with the documentary itself however accidentally
1: yeah absolutely there's this there's this idea of like and in a way this is this is about the kind of professionalization of the study of culture right where oh yeah you you think it's something that you can kind of completely step outside of, or we can talk about it in in uh, a specific kind of way that distances ourselves, you know, that kind of cuts the cuts cuts away at the tendrils that connect us to the thing itself. Um, which with horror, especially, and perhaps perhaps mo- most especially with something like folk horror, that's a lot more easier said than done
0: absolutely right like this is kind of part of the shape of the documentary as kind of a cinema form you know it's, it's it's attempting to use the the form of cinema to convey stories and fact and information um but i think that there's kind of this inherent tension in the documentary right like we look at like some of the most successful documentarians like herzog or like the um Oh my God, what is his name? British nature guy. Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, Edinburgh. And, and what we find in them is not just a dry retelling of facts. And, and this is, you know, put aside whatever political implications both of those filmmakers have. But like, what we wind up getting is a highly narratological ner- approach to the subject matter, right? You know, th- these are stories about spaces and histories and timelines and phenomena. They're not recitations of the facts therein.
1: I think, I think this this ties into a bigger problem, right? Um, and this is very Jameson talks about this all the time, which is the idea that by periodizing, by by any kind of any kind of um, argument about form persisting through time, you are making historical choices. You know, you, the history is not just a given, right? The development mm-hmm. of our art is never just a kind of given. It's always historically, politically, and socially mediated. And so by selecting, even though I think what they've done here with the text that they've chosen is actually really good and useful for broadening the conception of what folk horror is away from the kind of Holy Trinity, um, which we'll get onto in a minute, um, you're still making judgments. You're still making value judgments about specific kinds of, cultural production right this is this documentary is in essence uh, an exercise in canon formation right and that is yeah absolutely that, that is that is not as i say that's not a natural that's not a given that has an intimate relationship with things like uh social institutional power with political issues um and it's very telling that a lot of this Structurally, this documentary is borrowing a lot in terms of um, Adam Scoville's book on folk horror. Deeply, uh, yeah. And you can kind of tell that this is a this is a this is a popular documentary film that, in many ways, is structured like an academic monograph.
0: And, and this is this is something that I, I think is interesting about the shape of, of this thing because it is it, very long. This is a a, a, a marked commentary about the film, but. It, it is it is segmented in a way that almost suggests a, a serial, like a documentary serial that it could have been. And, and that does create like, this is a very information-heavy documentary, right? It, it plays in, in a way that is constantly loading you with authors and titles and timelines and historic events. And through, through the running of it at three hours long, it, there, there's almost a need for an aperitif Right, you have to break sometime during this meal and, and kind of cleanse the palate and digest what you've taken in before you can continue on. And it's almost begging to be a four-part miniseries on folklore, something that could hold the the kind of space of something so epic.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I like I, in a way, I don't I don't really mind the chapters. I think I think given that oh, this no, is like so, so information heavy, it's kind of necessary. But um, you're watching, You as I say, this is an exercise in canon formation, right? This is, this is about trying to build out the canon, especially in the wake of the folk horror revival of, like, 2010 onwards.
0: Yes, 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 absolutely.
1: Um,
0: another thing I'd want to touch on with the formal construction of, of this documentary, and I, I am 100% sure this is, this is a COVID constraint, um, but but it's it, it's very much got that it's the History Channel approach to documentaries, right? Head and shoulder shots, uh, intercut with graphics and title cards, um, shots from movies, of course, which which creates a lot of life and vibrancy. Um, but you know, this always whenever I watch a documentary, I just think about that classic Herzog moment where he's, he's at a he's at a panel with other documentarians. And they're, they're all talking about how, oh, we should be the fly on the wall. We need to be objective. We're observing the phenomena that we're we're reporting back on it. And, and he says something to the effect of, you know, we're not the fly on the wall. We're the hornets that sting. You know, we're here to create art. And this is true, right? Herzog wasn't just making a pretentious point, you know, about there being artistic documentaries and more grounded factual documentaries. Not, not in the slightest. Every, every documentary, you know, as, as you were saying, it's making choices. Making choices about period. Making choices about canon. And if those choices aren't made with an assertive, stinging political agency, you're going to wind up recreating a lot of hegemonic choices. You're going to end up recreating choices that have been made for you by capital P Power.
1: Yes, I mean as I say this is this structurally feels like an academic monograph. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't and that's not not intrinsically a bad thing, but it carries with it this idea of a kind of like distance from the notion of folk horror, right? It 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 becomes a kind of curiosity, a particular mode of cultural production that we can we can separate ourselves from and kind of look at a kind of dispassionate distance. It's a question of history. But again, it's not history in the sense of kind of cultural materialism or historical materialism, but in this kind of like recitation of progression. You know, if you if you look at this presentation of folk horror's development through history, it it makes this documentary makes gestures about going back and maybe complicating things, but a lot of that is glossed over for like an easy chron- chronology, right? So there was this film that came out, then there were these TV shows, then there were these. Plays that were staged on British television. Then there was this. Then there was this. Then there was this. Then this this today, and like that—that isn't necessarily wrong, but it is not the universal and sole way of thinking about things. Oh, absolutely. I I think like there, there is. It's
0: you'd have to strain to call it outright wrong. You know, and that's, that's I, I would agree, that's the wrong framework with which this isn't about being right or wrong. This is about being agential with the choices we make and, and recognizing the kind of political consequences of those decisions. Not everything can be covered, right? That, that that's, that's just an obvious truth. No one has infinite time and resources to cover the full depth of any subject. Everything has things that are left out. But what gets left out has to be a conscious choice. Otherwise, you're leaving things out that are in service
1: to to as we were talking about earlier, power. Yeah, so there are there are problems of genres. There are, there are problems of categorization here, which you can't kind of gloss over. Um, and yeah, I accept the limitations of like you're trying to do a kind of popularization. You're trying to do something kind of straightforward. But I'm like, you know, that's why we're here. We 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 we. We're here to kind of spoil the party a little bit. We have to run like, the fun. Yeah. Uh can't you let just pe- can't you just let people enjoy things? No. No. Never. No, I, I, <laughs> never. I will never let people just enjoy things. Um but yeah, questions of genre and questions of a of a of a of a history or of a of, of canon are political questions. They're questions about how you understand the relationship Of culture and its development to history, society more generally, Um, and if you kind of strip out the the political understanding of what what of of as Utah Phillips puts it, we're the folk, right? We're the folk, a working class, often very poor, often um, rural, isolated from uh, uh, large urban centres. What you get is a kind of aesthetic. Right, you, what you get is marketing. You know, every, the, the thing this reminds me of is when people talk about A24 films. Oh uh, yeah, a, yeah, like A24 market their films based on a kind of mood, aesthetic, and color grade. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. it's like the it's like the A24 vibe. Really, they're not a kind of unified whole. Right, they they're, they're sort of lumped together. And I think this is this is the same thing that we have to think about genres. Genres are unstable. Porous, have flexible, elastic boundaries, and um, are prone to often quite uh, sudden, strange shifts through so, history.
0: So we're starting to talk about genre, and I think we should. Oh, oh, what's that? Was that a knock at my door? Oh, oh no! It's the Discourse Finder General, starring Vincent Price. <laughs> And he's urging me with some kind of brand and the threat of being dumped to move on to the discourse section of today's episode.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it.
0: If those knocks don't come through in the episode, I'm going to have to like horribly insert a knocking sound effect.
1: I mean, it's a. I I like using which find a general as well, because everyone goes, it's a folk horror film, when in fact, it's not it's a Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So this, this idea of kind of saying that there's a there's an easy, simple genre of folk horror is I, I think generally something this film does a good job of working against, but because there isn't there isn't the kind of attention given to the 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 political and philosophical construction of genre itself, I don't think it hits as hard as it as it should.
0: Yeah, and I, I just want to be cool, this isn't a bad documentary. Like I, I enjoy it. You know, like, like, there, there is a lot of good stuff to be, to be mined in, in kind of the, the, the rock of, of this project. But you're absolutely right. Like, I, one, one of the points that always comes to mind when we talk about genre, right, is genre without politics is just marketing, right? Without, without a political agency and without a political engagement, genre is just a way to sell a category of texts. Oh, if we call these things folk horror now, it's a way to sell titles that we couldn't otherwise sell. And I, again, I'm not accusing this documentary of doing that, but it's just kind of a flat aspect of, of the world in which we live. It's the reason why movies like del Toro's Crimson Peak fail, because it's not quite a horror movie and it's not quite a romance. It's a gothic romance, and we just don't have a way to market those televisually right now. Um, yeah yeah let's
1: let's, yeah let's let's kind of drive this point home right at the top which is like i get the feeling we're gonna say we're gonna say a lot of stuff in this episode which i i get the feeling is maybe gonna be quite critical um but there is i what i and and i i agree i like this documentary as well and i think it's a really useful thing to have but i would also preface the facts preface everything that we're going to say by pointing out that like Negativity has a very important philosophical point, right? We're not just being, we're not just being contrarian, or we're not just being assholes for the sake of it. You know, like we know of and know some of the people in this, right? We're not, we're not just, we're not just being, we're not just being, uh you know, contrarian dickheads for the sake of it. But like, I, trying I, to point
0: it just, just really, really quickly on that point, like, I, I, I like. I, I despise the, the the contrarian attitude towards cinema and pop culture. Like, like this is this is. I remember one of the first things I ever encountered about Zizek is, is one of the things a lot of people first encounter, and, and and that's the the you know the we're eating from the trash can thing. You know, like like we're all in this trash together. Why why turn away from it? You you can't you can't like just hate on stuff.
1: Ugh. Well. <laughs> but also but also um being critical and having a kind of like commitment to to critical negativity is a space in which we can kind of complicate and deepen and enrich that kind of discourse so even 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 though we are going to say some things which maybe are a bit critical we are not just trying to pick holes right the whole point of this is to i i i see this documentary in many ways as a really good starting point right for kind of but it isn't. It isn't the, the the kind of deep, serious investigation of folk horror as a global phenomenon that it really could and uh, uh, could be, and that's what we want to kind of try and push towards.
0: Oh, absolutely right. And, and just just as like a, a, a thing with which I will connect to that. Whether we're talking about folk horror or or Marvel comic books, you know, if you if you truly love a, a quote unquote genre, right, a form of media. You know, a way of storytelling, a, a, a set of characters, a narrative—if something compels and speaks to you, by the very nature of love as a concept, you owe it to hold it in a serious esteem. You don't really love something if if you if you never take it seriously, and and that's that's part of our connection with horror. You know, like I, I love the horror in the Gothic, and and that means kind of trying to to grapple the weight of it. Whether or not I succeed is a completely different question. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so so if if folk horror isn't a genre, which I don't think it is, um, there is there is a, there is another way of thinking about it, and again, this is Adam Scoville's book um, on folk horror, which I I honestly think is really really useful in a lot of ways for kind of clearing away a lot of the 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 kind of rubbish in in, in the way of actually getting at the nub of things, and Scoville points to this idea of like the folk horror chain. So there's this kind of chain of associations and, and traditions and ways of thinking and stories uh, uh, that build up as a kind of process. Uh, and for them, the kind of key markers are a specific isolated location, an a, a insular community, an outsider arrives, and there is an event, a happening, a summoning of some some form. And we can, we can kind of complicate that in many ways, but it's a useful starting point, right? And so instead of talking about a particular genre, which as, almost as soon as you start picking away at genre, it gets very, very ambiguous. This idea of a kind of chain, I think is a more, um, a more helpful and more productive way of thinking about things.
0: I absolutely agree. And if our listeners out there want to check out this book, which I do, and I think you would as well recommend, it's Adam Scoville's Folk Horror... Hours dreadful and things strange. And just to to kind of spell out the chain here, uh, the folk horror chain works as thus. Uh, We have landscape, isolation, uh, belief in morality, and then a happening or summoning. And that's the kind of constitutive chain of things that come together to form folk horror. And I think I, I so appreciate this way of looking at genre and the generic and general, because like I, I take a very Deridian approach to genre—that things do not belong to genres. In fact, it's impossible to belong to a genre. That's marketing. You know, things participate in genres. You know, something something can be a western and a horror movie and and touch on gothic elements, right? You you can have parts of your content, you know, be in these these different bins, as it were. The kind of siloed approach to things is very much a reflection of like. This kind of Fordian corporatized worldview.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and yeah, the, that's a great way of putting the chain. at again a really useful book. Um, so before we actually start, let's let us historicize. I, as as always, I'm, let us, i let us flog
0: ourselves with the full chain. Yes, <laughs>
1: um, and, and credit to this documentary. One of the things I think it does well is. Going before going forward, you go backwards, right? You you look backwards into the literary forerunners of the form, right? Which is where they talk about uh, people like our uh, uh, Black uh, Algernon Blackwood, yes. uh, Sh- uh Sheridan Le Fanu, arguably, and the big one in this is Mr James.
0: Oh yes, yes, uh, Gothic—the Gothic button has been pressed. Uh, you have yeah. activated the secret Gothic studies scholars amongst us. Uh,
1: so, Mr. James, uh, famous academic and antiquarian, was also a ghost story writer. wrote them wrote them for Christmas parties that he would read by candlelight as a kind of bit of fun. Um, and Mr. James' stories are exercises in the perfection of a form. They are. They are. They are probably the 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 sine qua non the 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 uh ur- example of a perfectly constructed ghost story. But, but maybe you can kind of like flesh out how James and maybe people like Arthur Mackin connect to folk horror.
0: So I, I, think, I think to do this, we should just look at uh, Scoville's folk horror chain, right? Uh, you know, uh, Mackin, James, Blackwood, like these these are stories and these are ways of crafting stories. That, that situate themselves in loc, in, in location, in a landscape, right? They have that travel writing element to them. You know, they're, they're also about emotional, moral, and physical isolation. And there's, there's this contested balance between belief and that morality. And then there's a happening, right? There's that summoning. There's these things that kind of mark the full core, right? The chain is fully linked in, in
1: these texts. And a lot of it is based about uh, the ML James stories. A lot of them are based around historical locations or, or isolated locations or both in which something is discovered. Um, and what this raises is, uh, this is this is the bit of the episode I was most excited for because I, I feel like I'm going to activate your, your trap card here. <laughs> what this raises is, uh, I feel like we're going to need some ominous music. Uh, like a like a wop wha- 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 is psychogeography. <laughs> the, the idea of psychogeography.
0: Okay, yes, we we have to talk a lot about psychogeography um, because uh, psychogeography, and we'll get to the hauntology at the end. Where that, that's our that's our coda. That's how we that's how we close
1: today. Okay, so the psychogeography bit is the bit where I expect you to go off the chain. At the hauntolo- <laughs> the hauntology bit is where you're going to have to reel me back in. Okay. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. In real time, the, the uh, psychogeography stuff was was uh, knitting together my folk horror chain in my brain. Um, psychogeography in this is presented almost in a depoliticized way as, as kind of just an experience of remembering a place and, and knowing a place, but that's not what psychogeography is. Psychogeography is deeply political. It doesn't exist without politics. It comes from the Letterist International and the Situationist International who drew on Dadaism and Surrealism. These were Marxists and anarchists critiquing the environments in which we live, how we shape them and how those inform our actions and our lives. You know, like the shape of the city and in, in just our John Smith episode talks a lot about this. If you want to hear us, just, just go off on the subject. But the shape of the space in which you live controls things about you. It informs decisions that you make. It changes how you see the world. That's psychogeography. Um, Derive is is the thing that psychogeography is is drawn from. It's what makes psychogeography. And that is a situationist international practice where you would go with a small group of people, like five to eight people, right? Um, there, some people could do it alone, but it's recommended to do it in groups because the effect is greater. And you you would walk through a space you know, your, your home, the space you're used to, the city streets around you. And then just consciously be aware of, of how the groove in the street changes how you walk, right? It, how, how it changes how your mind works in that space. And then break that. Walk outside of that. Walk, walk directionless and without goal and without respect to these things. And see how that reshapes the experience. A, a really powerful way to experience psychogeography so there's a street close to my home right now that they're doing construction on and half of it's been closed for two months, you know, they're tearing up the whole half of the street to do stuff and it's been beautiful. You can walk in the street. The cars are almost always trapped in gridlock and they're barely running through because the drivers mostly avoid it if they can. But this means that people can just cross the street wherever there's ample room now to walk and it reshapes relationships to the environment. And that's deeply political. That's not just, it's nice to have more space to walk in, which it is, but it also calls into question, you know, in, in this specific case, a city designed for cars and not people. You know, what? why Why does the city exist for these like pollution death machines and not the drivers themselves? So there's a political valence here that I think that's lost in the discussion of psychogeography in this film. Sorry, I'm like, I'm ranting right
1: now. <laughs> no, no, no. Like this is actually a super important point, right? Because um. The folk horror chain itself is a political problem, right? Uh, if you're talking about rural, isolated communities that are in some way not as uh, let's let's use this in the economic term developed, uh, not as economically developed or integrated into capitalism. What we're talking about is we're talking about um, what Ernst Bloch would call non-synchronicity, the the combined and uneven development of a capitalist totality, right? so you're not just you're not just going isn't it strange that there's this there's this antiquated mode of living it's like no our mode of living is historically and economically determined right so to to talk about the relationship between space place and human subjectivity without realizing that the 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 vanishing mediator that stitches those things together is capitalist modes of exchange um, you're missing so much of what actually makes psychogeography an, a, a vital and important mode of analysis.
0: Yeah, and I think Adam Scoville makes this point so well that folk horror is often seen as an intrusion of, of the, the folk past onto our, our uh, intentionally phrased here, more civilized present. Right? it's It's often framed as a fear of the olden ways. You know, someone has got that insmuth look. they've been around too long. they're not up to date. Um, but in reality it's it's a recognition of of the connection between the past and the present and the similarities, right? Scoville makes the point that, that it's not a fear of the return of the past. It's a recognition that the past is what's always been in control.
1: Yes, and absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, 100% and this is this is core to psychogeography you know it's a, psychogeography is is a memory layer of space it, it's it's this kind of asynchronous perception where when you when you walk down a street you see years of how the space was designed and how that's shaped the, the the generations that have lived and died there how that changes everything from from how, how and who we can love to how we work and do our jobs, to, to just how we frame the, the, the very bones, the core of our existence is, is shaped by this crude geometry. And, and this is... And, oh, go on, go and, on, go on.
1: And you can take a, a longer view here and talk about things like uh, the growth of urban centres, the slow, um f- enforced shift of populations away from the country into the city. This is especially true in, uh, true in Britain. um the the forcible um, the forcible theft of common land uh, in the development of English capitalism the the brutal violence of something like the Highland clearances like all of these things this this the 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 fact that these kind of pockets of of non synchronicity still exist this is a this is a political point right and it, it to depoliticize folk horror is actually it is actually in a way deeply disappointing because it's such an opportunity, right? There is this, you know, uh, I I I love the analogy that Mark Fisher uses in capitalist realism, this idea of like the gray curtain, this this totality, this endless present, this this cancellation of the future, this, this uh, but actually understanding culture politically tears holes in this, right? You can you can understand it it, it gives you opportunities of kind of just prying the door open just a crack. And seeing into alternative modernities, alternative ways of living. Oh, a-
0: absolutely! I think um, so. Raul Vanat. Yes, absolutely. So Raul Vanagem, um, that was not me retaking a name I mispronounced. Wink, wink. Um, but it makes this great point that all space is occupied by the enemy. We are living under permanent curfew. Not just the cops. The geometry. And I think that this this is there's there's something so beautiful for me in, in in folk horror because a lot of the cinematic landscape of folk horror, uh, ties itself into derivate, right? Like it ties itself in, into active political engagements with land and space and movement and, and to, to miss the opportunity to just really let that bite, you yeah. know, really, really get the venom out of that. It, it's, it's definitely a missed opportunity. One that, for me, I, idiosyncratically, is very frustrating.
1: <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the kind of the the holy tr- the holy trilogy, the holy trinity of uh, Blood and Satan's Claw, Witchfinder General, and uh, The Wicker Man. Mostly because I think, in lots of ways, those films have really been talked to that talked uh, out. And the value of this documentary is in kind of broadening the conversation. But we will probably touch on them here. Which is where one of the other big themes that they bring in is the idea of witchcraft. Um, And this is this is a super interesting strand, you know. Arguably, you can say um, all of the main three folk horror films have uh, have elements of it in them, and it becomes a kind of a lot a lot of contemporary folk horror revivals are interested in the figure of the witch. Robert Eggers, for example. what do you what do you think about how this presents witchcraft in folk horror as a kind of like chain this this process of culture?
0: So, so I think that, and this ties into some comments that I made earlier. But there's a distancing going on in this documentary. Yeah, uh, with with certain aspects and not others. It's interesting to see the areas where things are positioned solely as historic events. And other things are like, oh, this is also part of a modern process. And I think witchcraft is interestingly something that is left in the past by this documentary. That's one of the folk things that, that doesn't get to come into the future. Uh, despite, I mean, like, you know, like, looked at Donald Trump and all the the, the new phraseology that has grown around with the phrase witch hunt. Yeah. Um, but I think that. One of the things that's interesting for me in this is this, this is another great opportunity to do like, like, like approach it from like a feminist and Marxist perspective, right? Do, do approach it from the perspective of Silvia Federici's Counterplanet in the Kitchen and Caliban and the Witch. Yep. Right. Caliban and the Rich, which, which really challenged, you know, established Marxist thought about primitive accumulation and how capitalism grew out of feudalism and, and like really, really interrogated things. And, and for, for me, it's like, if, if you love, I love reading about witches and the history of witch trials and, and these kind of old religious movements and how they change over time. It's such an interesting subject. Caliban and the Witch is a must read for people who are interested in this subject.
1: A lot of what they do here is actually pretty good. They don't, again, they get they don't talk about this connection between things like primitive accumulation, domestic labor, uh, the violence of uh capitalist modernity being forcibly inflicted they talk a lot about the kind of the roots of the uh, kind of the occult movement of the 60s the new religious movements the the, the interest in uh yeah, and I witchcraft do. uh you know drawing of things like the golden bow and um blavatsky from the late 1800s deep breaths uh, what do, deep breaths <laughs> what, what do you think of that ash
0: so there's a segment where one of the interviewers, and this could have been how they cut it, or this could have been that person not articulating their, their, their comment, how they wanted. So I'm not like, I don't, I don't know, I'm not judging anyone for a clip in a documentary. But the documentary itself, I am judging. <laughs> As a film critic, the documentary itself is separate from the things inside of it. It is now alive Indeed. and Frankensteinian. Um, but one of the points that the documentary makes is that it kind of like quickly assigned to Madame Helena Blavatsky the status of like a girl boss, <laughs> which that like, I, I felt like a wrenching inside of me, right? Because everybody who was into theosophy was deeply complicated because there were, all of them to a T were politically inconsistent, right? In the same breath of these people would be like, I stand for the liberation of all races except for the following races, which are subhuman in nature. Like, and, and that was Blavatsky. Right. She was deeply anti-Semitic, deeply racist, occasionally deeply anti-racist, but woefully Markovian in her apolitical nature, just kind of stumbling about randomly. And the framing there is, is I think, troubling because that's a way of not interrogating that. And we will really get into this when we talk about HPL, but this is, I think, a start. And then to like to talk about the the, the new religious movements in the '60s and kind of the rise of contemporary occultism and religion and stuff, and not like really take the time to sit with how a lot of this draws from colonialism and how a lot of this grows out of fascism, right? Like all contemporary Satanism grows directly out of fascism and and far right theology, and and to not sit and wrestle with that for a second, I think is such a... Again, like, I mean, like, I either mean, you can't do everything or this three-hour documentary should have been, like, a 13-hour miniseries to really give these things the space they need to breathe.
1: Yeah. So there was... There was a little bit of talk about um, the, the, the well-known Nazi interest in the occult. hmm But also... I I do sort of feel a little bit um, irritated that they didn't actually. It, you watching this, you would almost get the impression that like, oh, witchcraft emerged in the eighteen hundreds among middle class Victorian Londoners, and it's like yeah. no. <laughs> there is this. There's this wider hermetic tradition. There are these, uh, as you say, a, a lot of syncretism and appropriation of. Um, indigenous and and, uh, 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 and ang- Eastern non- Anglophone religion theology and metaphysics uh, and this is all kind of glossed over and in a way it sort of is like to me it sort of smacked of the contemporary liberal co-option of the figure of the witch
0: yes yes
1: you uh, know 100%. and I'm like yeah we're girl bossing we're girl bossing witchcraft
0: which is something that, that needs to be grappled with. You know, I like I mean like I'm gonna go on the record here, controversial take, which is rule and are cool and good. <laughs> but like to, to not to not take the layup, you know, to not grapple with the thing before you is, is a politically telling choice, to say the least.
1: Yes, I think that's true. Uh, and I think it's to miss out the 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 radicalism of the witch right to miss out the uh, understanding of things like primitive accumulation of domestic labor of the exploitation of reproductive labor of the ways in which the figure of the witch existed outside of capitalist relations of exchange because you could be healed or you could be uh, you could be cursed without money exchanging hands all of that dilutes the political valence of this symbolic cultural figure into something that is li- easily and immediately co-opted into kind of liberal continuity politics
0: oh absolutely and and to 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 go back to a point you made just a second ago like there's a whole section on nazi occult in this right and like volk with a v and and Mm -hmm. this kind of uh a term a term that i wish they would have used but now i get to coin it so volk horror Right, hey. this, kind of, this kind of folk horror that, that leans harder onto a, a fascist trend and the return to nature ideologies um, but the, the, the kind of jimisonian problem of periodizing is nowhere at its strongest in my opinion when they're talking about Nazis and the occult and folk mm-hmm. um, because that is heavily periodized as being a thing that happened in Nazi Germany um, and a big 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 problem with that is that it didn't start in Nazi Germany. Like, like those ideas, a lot of them draw from German Romanticism, which is a, a pre Nazi art movement. You know, like, like these, these, these ideas and ideologies that come on to shape, you know, the, the Nazi preoccupation and the occult and the folk have wider implications than this very conveniently canned bit of history. And especially in a moment when here in the United States and in England and many other places in the world, uh, you know, a- a democracy is is threatened by these movements, right? You know, democracy is facing a new resurgent rise in fascism, and they're leaning on the same things. You know, these same folk ideologies and these same perspectives that were you know existing in Nazi Germany are being dusted off again, horribly. Yeah. And and that is something for me where I was like, okay, this is a this is a horrible way to periodize something, especially in this current moment when like you know, it's, it's so fucking relevant.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is maybe, you've kind of maybe hit on some of our, our, uh, again, not, not criticisms we're not, but our kind of like points of negativity that we want to drive home here. (laughs) Us being not fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it would be very easy for us to just do a kind of hour where we go, yeah, it's good. Here are some of the cool things you may not have heard of, and there are a lot of cool things in this documentary that you may not have heard of. But actually, these conversations about genre and form and politics are super important, and it's kind of our job as the as the 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 the, the leftist movie critics to have those conversations. But I think this brings up another another kind of point, which is. A paradoxically a strength and a weakness of this one thing I actually really like about this is the way that it takes folk horror as a global phenomena but I also think that this the areas in which it does that there are there are bits kind of missed opportunities. So should we talk about like American folk horror? Yes yes let's do it um what what did you think about the section on like folk horror in America?
0: So I think there's a lot going on when we talk about folk horror in the American context. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is this movie like, but this documentary rather, I don't think it wrestles enough with how we perceive American folk horror traditions as being a agent of colonialism. You know, like the idea that the American folk tradition is the Salem witch trials is much more complicated than just that on its surface. You know, there, there's this perception here that culture in horror in America begins with that moment. It's forged in that crucible. Um, but, but it wasn't for a different group of people who were here before, before us. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, yep. There, 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 there were people living here until a different group of people decided that they, they, they weren't. Um, And so this kind of it's ideological, right? The ideal, the ideology that American folk horror is Salem witch trials and the puritanical fear of the woods, that isn't the entirety of the picture. And presenting that as being the kind of core thing is in service of colonialism, right? You you have to really, 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 really crack. How that intersects with and overlaps and interacts with the presence, and indeed, and especially in the absence of kind of First Nations and Indigenous peoples on this continent, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. their folk horrific traditions, and how they engage with with this this medium, and and that was addressed in this documentary. But I I think a lot of the presentation was it, it was more like Salem, Salem, Massachusetts you know uh tourism board it had that kind of vibe you know the 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 discovery channel like in salem massachusetts there was a witch trial like that kind of thing
1: one of the there was there was um there was a very brief section with um an indigenous uh film scholar who talked about the awful trope of the indian burial ground um and this is the the quote that I really liked. And they make the point that firstly, uh, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Indian the Indian that like uh, different tribes uh, and groups had different burial customs, but there is not. There's not an Indian burial ground. But also, if you uh, if you understand America as it is, then all of it. It's all an Indian burial ground, right? the The nation itself is it is the burial ground of. Uh, it, the indigenous people who uh, who owned the land, right? This it's it isn't in a specific place. It's a it's a nation founded on this kind of violence.
0: Oh, absolutely! That was one of the best segments in this in this entire documentary. You know, I, I really like that. I think it worked so well.
1: Um, but be, but you are completely right that beginning from this founding of what I would call New England horror. Which is again a—it's a historical choice, right? It's a construction. It, it is, is not right a natural in the name,
0: New England.
1: <laughs> you know the, this idea of like, oh well, it all started with the Salem witch trials. It's like, you sure, you sure about—is that where it all started? How does, you know, it's, and, and there's there's a little thing here
0: that 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 that's really worth really focalizing. It's a brief moment. It's over if you blink. But they they frame a lot of the Puritans and early colonial settlers here in North America um, as being radicals that were kicked out of their country because their ideas were too radical. And that's a choice of a framework. It, it could be made technically true. This is like a Snopes mixed fact check. Uh, technically, their beliefs were <laughs> radical. However what they believed sucked, um, <laughs> you know, like it, it was not that simple, you know, it, it, and radical is a very loaded term. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? To, to call something radical, you know, you, you need more precise language, especially for the Puritans you know, and, and the early settler, settlers here in North America, because that, uh, I think, is a way of, you know, whitewashing and, and kind, of, kind of paving over what that project actually was.
1: I think another way that we can kind of bring out this point is by talking about how this uh, documentary presents uh, voodoo.
0: Yes, yes. So what are your thoughts on this?
1: Um, again, I thought it was I thought it if anything, I thought this would have been a, a better starting point right to talk about um to talk about religious metaphysical magical uh belief systems that were forcibly ripped out of particularly West Africa um and then syncretized and and kept alive by enslaved peoples across the Caribbean and America. I think that would have been a more interesting place to start and focus on by talking talking about folk horror. Right, but in a way, it was kind of glossed over. I mean, it hit all the, it kind of hit all of the high points. You know, I talked about things like I walked with a zombie, white zombie, Um, but actually, it it and and the ways in which these these belief systems and religions were seen as a kind of threat or a contamination to um, to American, you know, white communities um but again the missing the missing kind of signifier here is like colonialism and slavery let's 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 say that let's put that at the forefront right yeah
0: i mean like and there's and there's a lot of good stuff on that in this documentary y- you know like like they've got Maisha Wester in here which is which is yeah, great to see yeah say.
1: My, um, maisha's bit maisha's bits um particularly talking about, I think it's Gander and Hess. Yep. One of the best segments in the entire film.
0: Hands down. Like, like if you watch this for anything, watch it for that. That is a very good chunk of this movie. And, and I I definitely agree that that the the focalization should have been on that. Right. If, If we, if we really want to bite into the politics of what an American specifically, not even a North American, but a specifically American folk horror continuity is like, this is where it starts, you know, like, like it's, it's this in colonialism needs to be the cornerstone of how this thing is shaped. It's not some radicals who left England, you know, it, it was a settler colonial project that began with genocide.
1: I mean, I mean, here's the thing, right? It can be both of those things, but you make choices about what you emphasize when you're telling the story of history.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there are decisions that are made, and, and and sure, we 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 can we can like talk about how minor these decisions are, but they are there,
1: and really, they're not that minor, right? Because they talk about both, but you could talk about, you could talk about the focus is important, right? This is what this is what I meant when I was talking about things like genre and history are are never naturalized, but they are constructed, and this is this is exactly what that looks like in context. And for another example of this, um, oh no, oh no, what, what's that? I, I, I can hear. Oh no, it's, it's the, it's the H.P. Lovecraft alarm. <laughs> no.
0: Um, I thought I was free.
1: <laughs> so, Ash, what do you think about that American folk horror writer, H.P. Lovecraft?
0: Howard, Howard from from the grave. His, his rubbery and and tentacles reach reach ever towards me and I I cannot
1: escape. <laughs> you really can't. You really can't um,
0: so okay okay this there's, there's some stuff we have to talk about here. And, and again, this is a formal formalist comment about this documentary, right? Because we have here what segment does the Howard Phillips Lovecraft segment directly follow? It is the segment on you know, indigenous and Native American and First Nations folklore, right? And and, and and how this documentary touches on colonialism. And they just breeze through Lovecraft. You know, there's not even really much discussed on him. You know, they're like, oh, maybe he's folklore, maybe he's not moving on. Um, which seems, this is like, a, okay, why, why include this if we're not going to get into it, right? Because love easily... You know, of course, you know, I shouldn't say easily because how can one measure these things? One of the most racist stories Lovecraft ever wrote was Red Hook. It is, yeah. it is screechingly racist, especially against the indigenous peoples that had that land and, and were destroyed and genocided through colonialism. And and to not talk about that is a choice, you know, it, it is a decision to make a political communication. It is a gentle Right? And and you know, a, a point I made earlier in, in one of the other times that Lovecraft sneaks up on me <laughs> during this show is that is that like you, you don't you don't always have time to talk about everything, right? You 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 have to make cuts, you have to make edits, you have to curtail things. Um but what you cut is very, very important. You know, like like not every conversation on Lovecraft needs to start with how racist and terrible a lot of love beliefs were up until the end of his life when he finally figured it out however especially in the context of the documentary that's being put together here and how it's presented in context with the other material right which which sections have have race focalized is very important for the construction of this documentary and and how things are coded and framed and to not do that with hpl is kind of a letdown
1: Yeah, totally. And there's this idea of like this ambiguity of him being a folk horror writer, which I don't just don't buy at all because he deliberately placed himself in succession to people like Mac and and James, right? (laughs) Like yes, yes.
0: And and like uh, if we if we look at uh, oh, go on, go on, go on.
1: And of course, like he's he's a folk horror writer of a very particular folk. Right. This idea of like America having a unified, single identity. You know, people talk about English folk horror, which is pretty contentious at the best of times. But America? America being like one thing? And it's like, no, nope, no, nope, don't buy that, really. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's he's the folk horror writer of a very particular kind of New England.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think this this speaks back to your earlier point about creating a canon. Right. And like, oh, does Lovecraft count as part of this canon because he's not articulating the certain sensibility of American folk, even though he is for better and definitely for worse a part of this literary tradition and goes on to be a part of the cinematic tradition as well. Like the Dunwich yep. horror is such a powerful yep. example. Like. And even like to look at like Scoville's chain, right, the folklore chain, like what is what is Lovecraft's first and primary concern? Location place the 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 architecture of providence is is one of his biggest loves in in every story where you know like what, what gets more detail than the space demons it's it's the gambrel roofs you know it's the architecture and geography of old providence and like that that is deeply folk that is deeply begging for the activity of psychogeography right like um so i've I've attended the necronomicon uh, conferences i think every year i might have missed one during during covid um not to say that COVID's over <laughs> um, but i've attended almost every year and one of my favorite activities is, is is to 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 do the walking tour right do the walking tour of providence and, and and compare and contrast the maps and sites that would have been there in lovecraft's time and indeed before that that he often referenced in his literature and look at those in context with the modern times and see what's changed and and, and try and think about the why and the how
1: behind that. And that is a deep connection to folk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think placing Lovecraft into this folk tradition um, is actually really important. And it kind of clarifies the ways in which folk horror folk horror is not simply just this particular phenomenon that emerges in british film or uh, british writing but is there are global iterations of it um and honestly i think the global section was the stuff on the on uh, particularly non-anglophone horror was super interesting um i really liked uh the stuff on brazilian folk horror with its emphasis on uh, afro-brazilian religion oh yeah um, I, Thought that was thought that was that was really really interesting. Um, the uh, I think there was a re- some really interesting stuff on uh, Jewish and Israeli uh, folk horror. Uh, the idea of the dibuk, um, and it shows that like there there are these like all of them have their own political valence, right? There are these thinking about it as a global phenomenon. Thinking about it as a as a global structure of feeling is 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 really interesting. Um, but again, I think uh, it, it here it all feels just a little bit kind of like depoliticized. All yes. right, should we should we should we should we uh, should we lose our minds at hauntology?
0: Uh, yes, yes. I'll, I'll I'll lead us in with a quick uh, global point I wanted to make. Another formless comment. Yes, yeah. I, I think this is all very important stuff to be looking at in in the construction of this documentary, right? Because I think there are questions left on the table, um, by how it frames global full right? There's almost an othering that's going on here, right? Because, because we kind of canonize British and American full traditions, and then we slowly start to build out a periphery, right? The core of full tradition is Anglophone. It's American and it's British. And then we've got indigenous and black American folklore traditions. And then we slowly start to move out into a global context. And that's a choice. And that's a choice that has a political utility to it, right? It is creating something as a focalized central core. This is a three hour documentary. If you only watch the first half, you're going to be missing out. You know, like, like there are there are choices that we're making that are kind of reconstituting global perspectives about which cultures are foregrounded, which cultures are kind of anecdotes, and I think that that is something that needs to really be examined here.
1: But yes, yeah, I would. I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree and yeah you know you can't do everything and you are limited by the constraints of form and space but this this i think this is why i said that i think this is, documentary is a good starting point i just don't think it's the ending point right this is not where things should stop oh yeah not at all
0: speaking speaking of things not stopping speaking of no no certain ending points how do you feel about uh, this this little concept known as hauntology?
1: Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I I thought it was used in a really productive way that didn't make me want to chew off my own arm. I. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, this is the bit that that I I did not like. Okay, so. Um, they make the argument that folk horror can be understood as hauntological. Okay, so what is hauntology? There are two broad schools, uh, traditions, ways of using this. Um, it's a Derridean term. It comes from uh, Jacques Derrida's uh, "Specters of Marx." Uh, in in French, it is a it's a pun. It's a joke. Uh, <laughs> Ontology sounds very much like the French for ontology It's this idea of the relationship between um, haunting ghosts and being. Derrida makes the point that even in the absence of something, there is a kind of um, unexcisable remnant that even in its absence is uh, implicitly present. And he talks about that in the context of Marxism. Hauntology then was uh, appropriated by Mark Fisher, famously in "Ghosts of My Life," talking about um, uh, talking about it often in the context of music. This idea of being haunted uh, by the possibility, haunted by a possibility of a better future, right? So it's something something that has arrived to us that is pointing the way to something that could have come into being but was prevented by cu- coming into being by capitalist realism. Um, hauntology is not <laughs> ghosts from the past. <laughs> that, is, that is not what this is.
0: <laughs> One, 100%, yes. Yeah. Again, there's a, there's a specificity problem that seems to be happening in parts of this documentary. Where there's an overgeneralization that occurs, right? Hauntology isn't just when ghosts. um,
1: Yeah, yeah, hauntology is when ghosts. No, no, that is
0: no. no. Uh, When when Super Mario turns around and the Boo starts shaking, chasing him, that's hauntology. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's hauntology. Uh, uh, When um, when uh, Slimer is eating at the buffet, that's that's hauntology. (laughs)
0: I believe Derrida cited that exact moment too.
1: I, I don't know. Maybe this is an editing thing. Maybe, like, stuff didn't cut together well. Maybe you had to chop stuff to get it uh, in, in at the runtime. But, like, this is the problem where you get a, a superficial presentation of it, but strips out a lot of its um, cultural and political power. So, um, the whole point is that hauntology is a moment of possibility, right? It, 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 it kind of, uh, Fisher wrote about it in the context of music quite a lot. Like there's this open door. There's this, this moment where you see what things could have been and perhaps they still are. And that ghost is something that we kind of exist alongside of. And that can be a spur that can be a catalyst. Um, it, it, I I I used I used a there's a kind of phrase that's been stuck in my head since the 2019 general election, which is which is where like Brit- British liberal commenters were getting into a tizzy about Jeremy Corbyn's social democratic policies, um, and one of them used the phrase "If these people get in, everything is horribly, brutally possible," and I was like, "Yes, yeah. <laughs> you are every." <laughs> Yes, that's right. That is what things are. You know, we don't have to have the continuation of the same. There is, there, is this, there is this open door. There is this better world that exists just on the cusp of being realized that haunts the everyday by its negative absence and underscores the pernicious horror of our own modernity. Everything is brutally possible um and this is the way that we think about folk horror as a political object right the people who are truly trapped in hell are not necessarily not necessarily the people of summer isle it's 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 the detective who comes it's the police officer who arrives he's the one who's trapped right that's what gets him killed right this idea of the limitations of what's horribly brutally possible um that's it that is what i would I, I i'm sort of like no it isn't just about ghosts right uh the ending the ending just sort of was like a knife to the heart
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it was a little much it, it was it, it seemed to be a little a misinterpretation of ontology right like not not really connected in with that and it, it also like it weirdly frames 9-11 uh, oh my god! yes <laughs> we, we we cannot forget that this documentary has a little segue into the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in September eleventh two thousand one like a strange thing to include here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. But again, because the politics have been kind of minimized or downplayed or stripped out, it's, it comes off very strange, right? The whole point is, is to do with the end of the end of history, right? The collapse of the Fukuyamist, uh, idea of like liberal democracy as one American unipolarity, the global hegemony of quote unquote, so-called liberal capitalism, um, which was kind of shattered by a whole host of things including the terrorist attacks of 9-11. But like the way that this is framed, it's like, well, then 9-11 happened and people started thinking about religion again. It's like, no, like, no yep. that is, that, this isn't how history works.
0: Yeah, 9-11 wasn't a pivot point in history. It was part of a contiguous flow of events. It's necessarily predicated upon things that happened before Without the Cold War, 9-11 literally can't happen. You know, without constant proxy conflicts between the USSR and, and kind of Western capitalist power, 9-11 just, just never is an issue. You know, like, it, it's, it's part of, it's, again, the, the reference of this chain, the presence in time, you know, the hauntological the, the ghosts of lost futures. You know, they're, they're with us at every single moment. And yes, like, 9-11 is now a deep part of, that, especially in the American landscape. But I think that focalizing that event, <clears throat> here, here, over 20 years later, and again, not to downplay the horror of what happened, but like, by, by focalizing it like this, we reinscribe that folk horror is an Anglo practice. It, it is a thing of Western Anglosphere. You know, and the important things that happen to us culturally are the things that make folk horror happen. And, and I think that that there's a lot of great political stuff in this. I, you know, when when they're talking about colonialism, I, I think there's a lot of amazing points. Maisha Wester stuff. As all, I mean, I've seen Maisha Wester speak. I can't even count how many times on one hand anymore, and it's always fantastic. Um, <clears throat> like just just banger after banger that Maisha puts out. But and then this this commentary on the end, I think, is hitting on a lot of important things. But as a formally constructed body of this documentary. I am now ranting to the point where I need a drink. Uh, Please save me from me.
1: (laughs) I think there is this, the ending I think is kind of troubling, right? The ending I think is kind of strange because it, um, it raises the possibility that, like, people just do things because, you know, people can be bad sometimes. You know, that's it. it's just because it's like no, actually there are systems at work here, right? Patterns of life uh, emerge and are maintained for identifiable historical, political, and economic reasons. And you go, oh well, one day people just decided to start doing human sacrifice. And you go, no, no, come on, let's. This is why you need to talk to Marxists, uh, like, because otherwise you just you end up essentializing human nature, you end up making it into this thing, which divides people into good people and bad people. And folk horror is about the kind of strangeness and violence of systems, not individuals, of systems, of, 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 uh, of, uh, Weltanschauung, of worldviews kind of colliding that has collateral damage, right? So the point is not to essentialize humanity but to actually understand our place in the production and perpetuation of these systems and to reckon with the importance of not exercising, of not cutting out the past, but learning to live with it, learning to live with ghosts, learning to live with monstrosity and and becoming new kinds of subjects thanks to that.
0: And and I think because this is the comment that the entire documentary ends on, Right, right. It ends on a comment that all of the horrible atrocities and terrible things in the world are caused by people, and there is no supernatural, mm-hmm. which, which I yeah. think is just, it's, it's such a weird positivistic reinscription to, to close things off with. This documentary that's been, you've, you've, you've evoked psychogeography and hauntology and, and the ghosts of genocide. And, and mm-hmm. the depth and struggle of our time, and, and how it lives with us the, the, these things that are at once deeply material and deeply ephemeral—and and at the end here, it's like, well, if you can't measure it in a beaker, it doesn't exist. It, in in one, you're totally right. It's essentializing people, right? You know, you know, c- claiming that there's no demons at work. It, it, it's 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 missing something here because it's not people that do this. It's systems. Right. this is this is beyond our hearts and souls this is bigger than us you know the, the the systems in which we live are greater than the sum of their parts right this this thing lives outside of us in addition to inside of us it, it is the ghost that full quarter is so often preoccupied with
1: Hmm. yeah
0: yeah well this has been. An interesting journey into the second ever documentary we've we've covered. Do you have any any closing points?
1: Uh, I I th- I think we've kind of hit everything that we wanted to. That was that was that was that was really really fun. That was really great. And and again, I really want to I really want to stress that there's so much about this which is really interesting. Right? It's really it's really rewarding. It's really really good to see that folk horror is expanding beyond this kind of triptych of films from the late '60s. Uh, as great as they are, and is and is trying to the discourse around folk horror is trying to understand things in in a much more nuanced and global sense, right? But like there there are political forces at work here, right? And you have to have ways of accounting for them, otherwise you end up making very odd judgments about kind of history and about culture and about kind of human consciousness, human subjectivity itself. Um, so. I, I I really like it I think it's a really good sign but I also think that this is as I said right at the top I think this is a starting point for a serious and deeper examination of this
0: oh yeah yeah. I, I think this is a great like, like a lot of the things that I really enjoyed in this were, were pulling lists of people to look up later works to watch, things to check out and then, you know, making making the notes for this episode, like like looking at this structurally like and being like, okay, why are we, why are we so Anglocentric through and through, right? Asking these questions, you know, and and like kind of raising the point that like, okay, there there are some things here that are very successful, and there are some things here that are deeply wanting. Um, like I, I was looking at the review. You can post reviews on Shudder if you have it, because this is a documentary. You can buy it from a couple online retailers. You can stream it on Shudder. This is not an advertisement for any streaming platform <laughs> for anyone out there listening. This is merely a recitation of the facts of my viewing. But on the platform, you can see uh, like, like community reviews. You can just type in a review and post it. And there were a couple that were like, oh, the left propaganda of this film. And I'm like, one, I'm glad it's riling some people's cages. They should feel unwelcome and uncomfortable. If you think, if you think a movie like this is left propaganda, you, you don't belong in polite society. Um, but in the other hand, I was like, oh wow, the the bar, we need to raise that bar. man."
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is, this is the point when you have, like, if you don't have a kind of historical materialist lens, if you don't have a way of understanding things beyond, oh, people just do things because that's what people do, which is circular reasoning for both the left and the right. Mm-hmm. You know, for both the kind of li- li- the libs and the conservatives who just go, "Well, this is just what people do." It's like, no, actually, culture is culture is produced. Practices of behavior are explicable, right? You can you can kind of track them and understand them as being these historically and economically contingent things. If you don't have that, of course, you'd see this and go, "Well, this is lefty propaganda." Uh, I'm just sort of like, uh, if this is leftist propaganda, we can do a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I
0: don't I mean, know, this is, this, this documentary, you know, uh, Woodland's Dark and Days Bewitched by, by Kylie I, I think it's great. It's a jumping off point. There's, there's, and, and like, there are some segments, like, just go watch Myisha Wester's segment and then, like, read, read some books from, from Myisha Wester and then catch Myisha Wester at a, I'm like keyword stuffing right now. Hashtag. <laughs> but like that stuff was really good. And there were some good bits throughout this. And it's great to get introduced to all these movies. But when we create these things, we really need to grapple with why some segments feel rushed. Why certain things are foregrounded. Right? These these are the questions that I'm left with at the end of the video. Yeah. yeah. What,
1: a, what a great place to go out on.
0: Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for our continuing quest into the most, uh, uh, as Derrida might suggest, documentaries whomst participate in the various genres uh, contingently, contingently known as horror. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. And, oh, crap, uh, Patreon. We have one of those. Um, since since I pretty much forgot to plug it, you don't even have to go look at it. But it's horrorvanguard.com slash no patreon.com oh god patreon.com slash horror vanguard. one day one day we are going to be so good at promoting our stuff it's not even going to be recognizable (laughs) but But it's still that but
1: but it is not this day but um, it's not
0: that's the that is the worst one we've done yet
1: but you know it We'll get better at this. We'll get, it's only been three years. <laughs> it's only
0: been three years. One day, one day we'll be good at things like promotion and, and whatever. We just, I just, to, I just want to talk about interesting things about horror movies and weird theory stuff. The, the promotion thing is so difficult.
1: <laughs> oh, let's, goodbye, let's everyone. Wrap it there.
0: Let's Meet wrap us in the woods. Our, our witch call We'll be discussing Slimer. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky!